0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. I want to have some fun this morning. I think the conversation that we're going to have this morning, well, it's a one-way conversation, right? Like it's not a two-way conversation so much, but um, I think if we can like you just open up a little bit, be a little more lighthearted, uh, I think we could really let the truth penetrate a little deeper than it would if we just are cranky. So don't be cranky. <laughs> That's the moral of the story this morning. Would you just turn to somebody and give them your best fake laugh real quick? Just, yeah. <laughs> Katie and I do that every now and then. It's funny how fake laughter turns into real laughter, like, very often, where you're just like, that's ridiculous. But okay, anyways, that was not as funny as I was hoping it was going to be, but... um I want to invite all the high schoolers and middle schoolers. So maybe you uh, don't, maybe there aren't a ton in here right now. I know because we're in the the higher uh, age category demographic for the most part, being the higher risk service, but maybe you know a high schooler, know a middle schooler. Uh, We are doing Desperation Conference this week. And so normally Desperation Conference is a conference down at New Life Church with thousands of students. Obviously it can't look the same this year, uh, but they are doing everything digitally this year. And rather than be a few days down in the Springs, it's going to be one day, different sessions, and we're going to host uh, it here at the church for our for our youth group, for our students. And so be sure, if you haven't got the details, if you need details, just contact Cherie or contact Deanna at the main office, and they'll get you everything that you need to know, time to be here, what to bring, all of that good stuff. And then uh, we're actually going to conclude that night rather than participating in the last session of the Desperation Conference, uh, our students, mostly our students, are going to lead us in a night of worship. Yeah, and it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. Uh, Make sure if you want to come, I think we'll follow the same uh, mask protocol that we've been doing where we will have masks on. I'm gonna ask that this level have mostly masks on for most of the time. And if you don't wanna wear the mask, you wanna be a little more free in Jesus, you can sit up in the balcony, okay? But that's just the way we're doing it. Um... And I hope to see some of you all there because it's going to be a great night as our students lead us as we encounter the presence of the Lord. So that'll be great. Um, So uh, we're going to read Ephesians chapter five today. So you can get your Bible out. You can turn there if you want. Um, We're going to read the first 20 verses in this section. You'll notice that we're leaving off verse 21. Verse 21, actually, Paul starts to set up his next thought in chapter five, which goes all into uh, husbands and wives and how we are called to interact in marriage. And so I just, I would love to invite you next week to come. Katie and I are actually going to have that conversation together. We're going to preach that one together um, because I think oftentimes that text can be a stumbling block for people. It can be challenging in different ways. And so uh, I think we're going to hopefully just bring a helpful uh, approach to that as we talk through it together. And I'd love to see you next week for sure. So let's dive right in Ephesians chapter five, uh, starting in verse one, where Paul writes, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true." And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Jesus, we just invite you uh, into this text. I pray that you would speak, that you wouldn't be uh, distant in this moment, God, but that you'd be close, that you would challenge uh, our thinking maybe a little bit today, that you would uh, help us with your Spirit's guidance to evaluate maybe some ways that are off in us, God. And ultimately, what I hope we can do today, Jesus, is we can uh, fix our eyes on you and we can increase in our capacity for worship in both of our lives, but also in our expression in your name we pray. Amen. So I think this verse lends itself to a conversation about worship. Um, Worship, I think, is oftentimes it's misunderstood, and maybe we don't define it uh, incorrectly. I think rarely is someone incorrectly would define worship, but it's often an incomplete definition of worship. And so we want to make it to be what we just did. Right? We want to say, well, worship is that portion of the service where they sing and they play the instruments. But then, you know, but then we preach and then we go home and then we'll come back next week. And if I make it on time, I'll make it for the start of worship. Right? We have, we, we'd like to kind of put worship into this box of just the songs that we sing. But what this text is going to show is that really there's a much more broad perspective of what worship is. And we must be careful not to define it in an incomplete way. We must understand it fully so that we can give ourselves to it fully, because that's who we're called to be, worshipers, worshipers. And so um, the, the before we kind of jump into it, I think the things we have to be mindful of is that uh, worship, if we're just going to be real today, like, we're, like let's just be real today, okay? You and me, let's just be real. Worship looks weird to the outside world, does it not? It looks weird. I, I remember coming into this church as a 17-year-old, and I came here because I thought Katie was cute. I didn't really come here because I knew Jesus. I didn't really come here pursuing him. I came here pursuing her. I wasn't dumb, y'all. Like I, She hung out at church a lot. So guess where I was going to be? At church. I, I, I like to go to church too. Let's go. And we sat right up there in the balcony oftentimes. And I'd look out and during worship, you see a lot of different things happening. During the actual worship part of the service where we're singing and you see a lot of singing and you see hands up. You might see dancing going on. You might see people just crying. You might see people just on their knees and like there's so, it's all over the spectrum what you would see in worship. And it's weird. It's weird to people who don't belong to this community. It's weird to people who don't understand what we're doing. And that's okay. Peter calls us to be a peculiar people. Like there should be things that we do that look odd to the rest of the world. We're not going to just conform to what the rest of the world is doing. We're going to do some things that look a little strange and that's okay. We got to be okay with looking a little strange. But it's also kind of strange for us, even in this room today, because a lot of us have different backgrounds and filters for what we think of when we hear the word worship. So, okay, I already said we're going to be real today. How many of you, just, just be honest, okay, you are totally comfortable in just like a hyper charismatic setting. Like there are people getting slain in the spirit, there are people praying in their prayer language, and you just walk up to that and you're just like... Got my anointing oil like ready to go. You pull up and you just got it loaded in like a preset little super soaker or something, right? You're just like, this is it. That, that's not me. It's not my story, okay? Like I didn't grow up in that setting and there's parts of that setting that are a little uncomfortable for me. Like I have to be stretched. I have to be tested a little bit in that setting and that's okay. I'm cool with that. But so how many of you just honest for a moment, like how many of you grew up in a lot more of a fundamental setting and you're much more comfortable in just like a much more fundamental setting where, where it's a little more calm, Nobody's dancing in the aisleway. There's no like flags going crazy, right? Like the message that's implicitly and explicitly taught is probably, hey, why don't you just settle down about Jesus? This is not about you. This is about the Lord. Right? We're taught that. We're taught some of your backgrounds, your church background has lent you to think about worship in this way that is that should be stoic and should be reverent. It should not be expressive lest you make this about you, not about the Lord, right? All of, we all have these different filters. How many of you just, you're like, I didn't really grow up in church. Like, I don't really know what you're talking about. And I'm cool. Like, we're cool. We're just hanging out. Is there anybody like that? Yeah. All right. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, I, I want to give first, uh, like just a definition to worship because I think that'll help frame this conversation up today. Um, worship, I think can be better understood and it maybe puts a little more framework to it if we just call it worth-ship. Worship. What worship is, as simply as I can put it, is us is us um, ascribing the worth due to the Lord. So it's me, either with my life, with my heart, with my words, with my actions. It's me committing myself to the Lord, and I'm saying that I'm, I'm going to offer my life to refre- reflect how much He's worth to me. That's, that's like kind of a working definition of it. And so we'll tie that now to the text where we're going to see that in my outline for the day is to see that worship is first born with a commitment. It's born in a commitment to Christ. It continues then as we, as we are obedient to him. And then ultimately what worship does is it finally overflows in expression. So it's born in commitment. It then is continuing on in our obedience as we walk and we look like him. And then it overflows ultimately out of me in my expression. Right? And so we got to be careful not to categorically just say worship is just songs. Because what Jesus says in Matthew 15 is he says, With their lips they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. So that word in vain is to say, literally, they might as well not. It's worth nothing. If we come in here and we sing songs about Jesus and we sing songs that are theologically dense and rich and beautiful and the melody is wonderful, but our hearts are far from God, then we're not worshiping. In vain do they worship me. It's not worth anything. It's not actually worship. And so you're like, Austin, I don't I didn't see worship one time listed in the text. Can you show it to me? I can. That's actually going to be the next point of my sermon. So Let's just get going. It's born in commitment. The first two verses say, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we walk as imitators of God. We recognize that Jesus has freely laid down his life, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice on our behalf so that we could be reconciled back to Jesus. And your very first act of worship in your life is the moment where you say, I'm done walking this way. I'm done pursuing these things. I'm done being the Lord of my own life. I'm done trying it this way. And I'm going to repent now. And I'm going to say, God, your way of life is more worthy of pursuing than my old way. And I cross from death to life. It's my first act of worship where I go, no, Jesus, you're worth it. I want, to, I want to show you value by ditching my old life and now chasing after you. It's born in commitment, and then it continues in our obedience. There's three kind of thing, phrases here that I want to key you in on. Paul says in verse 3, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, uh, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Then he says, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He says, hey, don't, don't give yourself, don't let your life be filled with all this sin, but instead surrender your heart to thanksgiving. Thank, a thankful heart that says, God, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's going on around me, no matter where I find myself in any given situation, I'm going to choose to be thankful. And not just with my mouth, I'm not just going to say, God, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have a disposition in me that chooses the gratitude, gratitude for what the Lord has done in my life, that, that that is more important than any circumstance that I find myself in. I'm going to choose to be thankful. I'm going to posture myself in Thanksgiving. What is that? But worship to say, God, thank you so much for the things that you've done for me. And to continually just go, no, 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 it doesn't matter what's going on here. I'm not going to give myself to that anymore. I'm just going to continually be thankful. So we are continuing in Thanksgiving growing. And then he goes on to say, Verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Verse eight, he says, for at one time you were darkness and now you are light. I find that interesting. He doesn't say that you were in darkness and now you're in light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And he says, he puts that light in us Now we carry that light with us. We carry that influence. We carry that hope, that glory from Jesus in us now to the rest of the world. And then he says, verse 10, try to discern now what is pleasing to the Lord. Life that's marked by worship will constantly ask itself, God, what is it that would please you today? Uh, are, are we consistently trying to discern, trying to feel out, trying to decide? There's so many different things that we could participate in. There's so many different things that we could give ourselves to. But are we sitting there consciously asking yourself, God, what would please you? That's such a picture of worship to come before God and to say, God, is this pleasing to you? Right? I think of like a kid with their parents. They just want to like, dad, I just want to please you. Just want to make you happy. And we're imitators of God, walking as children, following him. We're, we're trying to just say, okay, what do you want me to do? Uh, whatever pleases you is the thing that I will do. That is a, a lifestyle marked by worship. He then goes on to start to talk about, now you, you are light. And so don't take, take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then he goes on, verse 15. Now look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. God's wisdom is always available to us. Verse, 15, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Like we live in a time where the days are marked with, it's gonna be a unique season in history. Once this age is over and we usher in the final kingdom for forever, there will be no more evil. There will be no more urgency to go out and evangelize and go share the good news, to go represent your light to the rest of the world, push back darkness because it won't be there anymore. But the days that we find ourselves in now are evil. So make the best use of your time. I find this to be one of maybe the most difficult thing, at least for the American Christian, to give themselves to in worship is to say, God, whatever you want to do with my time, do it. I'm not going to give myself to things that aren't inherently bad, like Instagram, Facebook, like whatever social media, whatever Netflix show you're binge watching right now, whatever news station is on in your house all the time. Those things aren't inherently evil all the time. Sometimes they are, but they're not always inherently evil. But is it a wise use of your time to commit your time to Jesus as God, whatever you want to do? And I think, we, I think we think about this wrong, like, wow, but I just don't have that much time to give to him. I maybe got my 30 minutes in the morning, but then I got like an eight hour work day I gotta get to, then I got kids I gotta get to, or then I got this, what, like whatever it is that fills your time, but, but to surrender all of it to Jesus. God, make the most of my day today, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at the store, whether I'm with my kids, help me see what the most wise use of my time can be today. Help me make the best use of my time. It's worship. It's worship to say, God, your kingdom come. Whatever you want to do through me today, do it. I worship you. I see the value. I see your worth in my life. So let me just commit all of my day to you. It's worship. And so that's as we continue in our obedience. We grow. We start to look more like Christ. It's this grace-empowered, grace-sustained effort to look more like him, where we just continue to abide in him and, and him in us, where we just try and bear his fruit and replicate his fruit in our life. And it doesn't come through our rigid, just rule following. It comes from us just continually reminding ourselves of the grace that he's poured out on us. And our worship that was born in one commitment, in one moment, is now growing in, it's continuing in our obedient life that we're living out. But ultimately what God wants to do is he wants to see your worship overflow out of you into expression. And let me show it to you in the next couple of texts. This is where I think we'll maybe have a little bit of fun. Okay, just saying. Um, he says, verse 18, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now now you've maybe heard this taught in a way that says, hey, this is why you can't have wine. This is why you can't drink wine. Wine's bad, alcohol's bad, stay away from it. But that's not actually the argument that Paul's making here. The argument that Paul's making here boils down to control and he's juxtaposing two different sources of control. He's saying, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery. Don't give yourself over to too much drink that you lose control of your thoughts, that you lose control of your words, that you lose control of your actions. You have gone too far. You You are now into some area that Paul would call debauchery, where you are no longer in the driver's seat of what's happening around you. You are subject to the control of the alcohol that's in you. But he compares that next to, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's comparing the control that alcohol has with the control that the Spirit has in you. Have you submitted yourself? Are you in complete just submission to what, what Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to do inside of you? So that's the argument that he's making there is which, one are you, which one's controlling you? Hopefully it's the Holy Spirit. And if it's the Holy Spirit, he shows us then what that would look like in the next verse. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I kind of finish here is so I just want to unpack a few of the Hebrew words for praise. So we talk about singing and delighting in the Lord and making melody to him with our heart. I want to talk about how the Hebrews would have used specific words to describe specific things in praise. Because we were talking about this in small groups this last week, where, where the English language has just given itself over to just like the garbage time use of words. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I can say love, And I could mean a whole host of things that I love at this point. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Instagram. I love fajitas. I love tacos, Mo Robertson. I love tacos, right? Like, I love church. I love my car. Surely we don't all mean the same thing when we're using that word. And yet when we say it, it's just love. Like, I love it all. Right? I've heard it said this way. In the English language, the burden is actually on the hearer to understand what the communicator is saying. But back in Hebrew, back in Greek, there was such nuance and different words. Like the Bible uses over, has seven primary uses of the word praise. So back in like Greek and Hebrew, the burden was actually on the communicator to choose the right specific words so that it would be clear to the communicator. But we've shifted it now. So if I say cool, you don't know if I'm talking about the temperature, which it's obviously not in here right now, but you might be talking about John's shirt, Right? which is cool. I totally like it. Um, okay. Anyways, sorry. Again, not so funny. Let's go through four, four Hebrew words for praise. There's more, but I want to focus in on these four today. The first one is halal. And I don't have slides for these. I should have sent them to Steph, but I didn't. Halal. And halal means to boast foolishly or to make a show of something. Halal. Um, I think you see this biblically, most obviously when the ark returns to Jerusalem and David just loses his mind right? Finally, the presence of God being restored amongst his people, and he starts dancing. He's dancing so much, he sweats through his outer layer, right? It's like getting crazy in the streets, and he's just going nuts. He finally goes home that day to go home to his wife, right? And, and her words to him is like, like this isn't in the Bible, like it's kind of in the Bible, but she's pretty much like, man, you look like an idiot today. Are you proud of yourself? You looked really dumb dancing out there in the street like a, you know, whatever, pick your word. And his response to her, Woman, I would become even more undignified than this. It is for the Lord that I was boasting today. And halal, this picture of just like, I'm just gonna lose control. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go nuts for, I'm gonna surrender to him and I'm just gonna express to him and I'm not gonna be so caught up in what other people are thinking about me. And, and I just have to remind you church that you have the capacity to do this. I, like, I think in my own life, I'm not even that big of a football fan, okay? So I'll just be honest with you guys. I'm six months into pastoring this church. Like, I am not a huge football fan. I just don't have four hours of my life to commit to a football game on Sunday unless there's a nap involved. Then praise Jesus, I do have time for a football game. But I remember playoff game several years ago. I should have looked up the year before him. Tim Tebow, Pittsburgh Steelers, overtime game. Anybody? First play of overtime. Who does Tim Tebow connect with? Demarius Thomas for an 80-yard touchdown run that won the playoff game? Come on, somebody. I was so excited in that moment. I was in my in-law's basement. I jumped up. I don't even know who's in control of my legs. I just jumped and hit my head on the ceiling. (laughs) Halal, like I'm just so, like just to boast foolishly, to make a show for it. We have this gear. We've just been convinced either implicitly or explicitly taught by the church that God does not want this gear. And it's not correct. It's not right. God uses this word, and and there's there's over 400 times that praise is used in the Bible. 50 of those is a command. It's just fascinating to consider. The next one, second one, is Yoda. Not Yoda. Okay, there's an H at the end. It's Yoda. To lift one's arms in praise or surrender. And so there's a lot of instances in the Bible where we would see people posturing themselves physically in a certain way before the Lord. Whether it's a picture of the throne room of heaven, all those guys, anytime they see something in heaven, they just automatically just like on their face, right? On their face, you see a lot of on our knees, praying from our knees, lifting our arms. This word, Yoda is used to say people who are postured in the heart of surrender, they have their hands up, they're surrendered to what the Lord might do. And... and And I think we want to make this such a conversation in church about, oh, okay, am I in the baby stage? Like, am I doing this? Am I in the one hand, like beating the chest? Like John Chris has that whole bit, right? Am I both hands up? Am I all in? But really what it is, it's a posture of your heart that says, I'm surrendered to the Lord. And, And God is not sitting in heaven going, like, he's not sad in heaven, just like wishing that we would, you know, throw ourselves on the floor before him or that he's just like, oh man, I'm just really bummed out. I'm having a hard day. Would you guys just please lift your hands to me? Like I think that's the argument that you sometimes hear is that God doesn't need that. Of course, God doesn't need that. He doesn't need anything, but what God's after in our physical posturing, us actually moving our bodies is he's after integrating what's going on in our head, things we know is true in our head and the things that we feel in our heart. And he's longing for this integration. And sometimes the way to close that gap is just put yourself in a physical stance to actually move your body in a certain way. Yoda. The next one is Samar. To praise with instruments or with voices alone. Samar. I think the, this is one that we just don't really have any real categories for in our like kind of Western modern thinking. But uh, back, in, back in 1 Samuel, I think it's 15, 16, right around there. Um, Saul has a tormenting spirit that's tormenting him plaguing him, and he sends out for someone who's skilled in playing the lyre, the harp. Anytime David, then David gets brought into his court and every time he plays the harp, it soothes the tormenting spirit from Saul. The the tormenting spirit departs from him is what the Bible says. And so like, I I don't know if we really know where to contextually put this, but I've been in moments of worship, even just now as Caden had Wendy just continue playing the keys. Like there is a spiritual dynamic to the Lord where his power is unleashed through the playing of music over demonic oppression and principalities. And I don't think we really know where to put that in our neat little comfortable Christianity boxes where someone can just play a line on the guitar or play a drum fill somewhere and that loosens something in the spiritual world. And yet, biblically, we see it. Like, like the worst strategy to me when it comes to Jericho right? And what's going on when they're like at the fortified city in front of them? Like, you know, my first thought is not like, hey, you know what? Let's just send the band around a few times and then we'll sing at it and those walls will fall down. And it's what happens. It's what happens. The last one is sabah, sabah, and that is to reach out with affection, to just reach out to God in affection through the cries of your heart. I think that ties really neatly to, the, to what this says here in Ephesians, where it says, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, full confession, right? we were going to be honest with each other today. Amen? We still in on that? All right, good. Because I have noticed that Caden, when he's leading worship, does a lot of like, sing your own song to the Lord. How many of y'all that makes you just a little uncomfortable? Let's just be honest. Wow, okay, so my hand is up. Jim's hand was up. That's great. Um, I feel a little bit, when he says that, I feel a little bit like that scene in Elf where, where Buddy first meets his dad. You know what I'm talking about? And his dad thinks he's a singing Christmas gram. So he's like, go ahead, sing me a song. And he's with his dad. And Will Ferrell, you know, his character, he's like, uh, I'm with my dad and I'm singing, and guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you, right? He's just like, like I feel like that when Caden says, sing your own song. And yet, I see it in the Bible as something that happens. I think it's important to note it's not something I manufacture. It's not something that I'm just like doing in a moment, but I'm just I'm submitting myself to the fact that God might make a melody coming out of me in the middle of a worship song that has nothing to do with that worship song that has nothing to do with that melody that's in that song, but I might just sing something and it might not be for anyone else to hear ever. Please, Lord, like I don't need you all to hear my voice on the mic on Sunday morning. But there's something special that happens when you just give yourself over and you say, I just want to show God my affection and what might come out of you is a spontaneous song that's never been sung before by any other human mouth. And we've got to be comfortable with surrendering ourselves to this because as we continue in our obedience, as we have committed ourselves to Christ, the overflow of worship will come out of us in expression. 500 times, 400 times, the, there's the command, there's the instance of singing 50 of those. I'm sorry, I messed that up a little bit. 50 times God commands us to sing in scripture. Right? So I think we have room to grow in this, whether it's in our life, because we can't just jump right to, oh, I just love to sing, but your life is far from him, or whether it is in the singing, and that what would be happening to you in the rest of the week would actually match the overflow of your expression on Sunday morning. And so I want to invite the band back up. We're going to take the last few minutes here, and we're going to uh, go back into that God of Revival song that we sang. Uh, But before we do that, uh, Katie, Katie um, has a word that I, I watched the Lord give this to her months ago and, and she wrestled kind of with, okay, when's the right time to share it? Do we share it in the church at home style? And so I just want you to kind of engage and listen to what you feel like God has put in her heart. I actually felt like in praying and preparing for this sermon on Sunday, my role from the Holy Spirit was just to, I just need to kind of get to this moment with 10 minutes to go in the service and then just let God do whatever he wants to do.
1: In verse 14, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you like the dawn. And if there was ever a time for the church to be awake and alive, that's now, right? That's in 2020 and in the coming um, time, who knows, before Jesus comes back. And so we're going to ask him to awaken us to his presence, to his goodness and to the calling that he has on every single person's life here in this room. He wants to awaken us from our sleep. He wants to bring what's dead to life so that we can be that light in the darkness in these evil times. We need the church to be awake. And so we've carved out this time to ask for him to do, the, the person of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. We are helpless to wake ourselves up. So we're just going to stand. Would you guys stand and just posture your hearts and, and your bodies in a way that will receive from him? Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We thank you, God, that there is more for every single person in this room. You know exactly what they need. And so, God, pour out your presence, pour out your goodness. We thank you that you long to commune with us. You want to speak you want to give visions and dreams and so we call forth those visions and dreams right now awaken your people to your presence pour out your presence god we want more of you God, we ask that for any person in this room who has a moment in their past that has, they've questioned your goodness, they've questioned your faithfulness, God. I pray right now, Lord, that you would pour out your goodness, that you would show them the purpose that you're redeeming and you're restoring. Help us to experience your goodness this morning. you into those memories and those difficulties of our past and as you heal that God I just pray that you would propel us into our future into the calling that you have for each person in this room God we we bring what's dead to life those those passions that we've let fall by the wayside God I pray that you would revive those blow a fresh breath on each person, on their on their life, on the ministries that they're each individual person got their jobs and their families, Lord. Give us a passion and a zeal. We pray against apathy and lethargy and complacency in this place, God. We pour, we pray for passion, we pray for zeal and for drive, God, to do what you've asked us to do. Awake, oh daughters, awake, oh sons, right now.